Fisgianados with Evan Rutkowski. He's a good boy, you know. Tuesday, April 17th, and this is the Fisgianados podcast. I'm your host, Evan Rutkowski, former HBO Sports Marketing Executive, giving you my take on what's happening on your screen and behind the scenes. The email here is at fistianados at yahoo.com. Follow me on Twitter at fistianadospod. First of all, I want to apologize last week for the poor sound quality. I am working on that. I am learning how to do this. Uh, I can talk about the sport. Mixing sound is tough. I got to admit it. I got to admit it. I'm going to get better at that, though. And just a note, this week... We're recording a little bit early. I know the Canelo hearing for the NAC is tomorrow. I will come up with something for that. I don't know the answer to it. It is my wedding anniversary tomorrow, and I'm not going to record a pod tomorrow. It's really just that simple. But let's start. Let's review the action from the past two weeks. So Saturday, April 7th, on Showtime, Jared Hurd defeats Arislandi Lara in a close split decision victory, unifying the IBF and WBA titles at 154 pounds. James DeGale defeated Caleb Truax in a rematch at super middleweight, winning all three scorecards in a closer fight than expected. Julian Williams defeats Nathan Gilmore in a unanimous decision. The night average. 490,000 viewers, peaking at 521,000 viewers. And then there's really not any major boxing from last week, although shout out to Francisco Vargas for stopping Rod Salka on ESPN2, mostly because he's a really fun fighter who makes great TV, and I'd love to have I'd love him to have another shot at the 130-pound division. Any title, really, any fight against a good fighter, I, I, I love watching him fight. And then let's just be honest, it's no matter what your political affiliation is, it is funny to watch someone like Rod Salka do a ring walk in Indio, California, of all places, with those trunks on and then get KO'd by someone like Francisco Vargas. That's hilarious. Uh, two other TV ratings of note, the Rioto Murata fight. Apparently, I, I am trusting Bob Aram's number on the numbers on this did 15 million viewers and peaked at 17 million viewers in Japan. Um, And then back in the States, UFC on Fox from this past Saturday averages just over 2 million viewers. And this really, even though it wasn't up against a fight, uh, a boxing fight, this is something I like to keep track of for comparison's sake. And I think where it's really going to be relevant is once... The UFC gets a new TV deal. Um, I, I think that those points of comparison will really be important. Uh, the UFC put they, this past weekend they put on really high level competitive fights, and they only got two million viewers. That's really significant. I think that's really significant, and I think it puts 
the number that the UFC is going to get probably from one or two different places in perspective. Um, if it's only getting 2 million viewers on Fox putting on really competitive fights, and then you look at the numbers that a lot of boxing gets, uh, you know, especially when, when the PBC does go on Fox, they, I think last time they did about 1.5 million viewers, but it puts it in perspective, especially with what ESPN is paying top rank right now. It's, it's, it's probably going to be a fraction of, of what the UFC gets. And I know the UFC is different content and it's probably more content, but boxing could look like a real bargain. Let's just put it that way. So that's why I keep track of that stuff. What are the other takeaways here? What's the real takeaways from the Showtime uh, fight on April 7th? It's not a great number, and I think that's a shame because Jared Hurd's a really fun fighter, and I think he needs to be marketed better. You know, he's got a nice little run in front of him at 154 pounds, and I don't, that's not really just from purely defending his titles. He's got some really solid opponents in that division, and he can make some fun fights, win or lose, uh, over the next few years. You know, he takes chances, he's athletic, he's got some decent talent. And I think he's got some good matchups. You know, he, he made his style, he made the Arizona Lari fight into a fun fight. Um, you know, I think it's on Showtime to tell his story a little bit better, to focus on some of the unique parts of his background, you know, the lack of amateur experience, you know, some of this stuff. They did a little bit of it. Um, but I think with someone like him, this is kind of the moment when you have to start putting some paid media behind him, if, you know, especially if he wins another fight or two. Um, whether it's next or whether it's one more fight, when he fights Charlo, that's a big fight. It can anchor a strong night of boxing for Showtime. Um, one other note on it, and I don't, I don't know how this affected the TV ratings overall, but just in terms of viewer experience, when you have three fights that all go the distance and just in general, that can be like a long and arduous viewing experience when you started at 10 PM Eastern, you know, I didn't watch it live, but even like I had to struggle through it a little bit. And that's the shame. It's just a shame because the main event was really a great fight. And so you know, the takeaways from a pure programming perspective, when you cover as much backstory as Showtime attempted to do for this, I think you either need to not have the third fight or you need to have an earlier start time. And that's always tough at Showtime, HBO, or ESPN for different reasons. You know, purely from an HBO perspective, there is a Saturday night movie which usually does a really nice rating. And so if it's male skewing, then you want to be right you know, you want to be on right after that, basically. Um, you know, I've never really talked about it, but like the the Saturday Night Move-In, it, it, you know, it's still a big factor. I think it's still, it's a great lead-in many times for HBO Boxing. It, it, it captures the casual or semi-casual fan in, in a really big way, you know. ESPN's a different, you know, they're a different situation, but they obviously have other live programming that they're scheduling around. In general, 
that's really positive for their boxing, but there's also downsides. Um, and then, you know, Showtime, they probably have the least programming entanglements to deal with, and they usually do a good job of this. And I, I don't know what the extenuating circumstances were for uh, that Saturday evening, but I do know the main event didn't start till past 12.30 a.m., and that's terrible. That's that's not that's not what you want. So I wasn't sure what to do this week. You know, last week I mentioned on the pod that I was thinking of doing a Q&A, but honestly, May 5th is, is just, it's really the gift that keeps on giving. You know, I want to do a deep dive on what May 5th has done for the industry on the whole. It's unwittingly bubbled a lot of things to the surface that are telling us a lot about how the future of boxing is going to look as like a televised sport, to be perfectly honest. You know, again, just for clarity, I'm recording this Tuesday night. I know the Canelo's Nevada Athletic Commission is happening tomorrow, that hearing. Um, maybe we'll figure out something later in the week to do another pod reaction type of thing. Maybe that it's just going to be on Twitter um, or some, you know, maybe I should start some other social media. I don't know. Honestly, I don't think, though, that the hearing will have, I don't think it'll affect my take on this all that much. So let me just start by asking, like, how did we get here? And not in a what was the sequence of events that got us here kind of way, but more in a why did these events play out the way they did and what other forces were at work here kind of way, like that kind of way. So first and foremost... I was not emphatic enough in saying during my last episode, like we got here because of incompetence by the Nevada Athletic Commission. One of the reasons Triple G feels the way he does is because his side pushed to have the fight in New York. And if the fight was actually in New York, this fight would probably still be happening on May 5th. For clarity, I am talking about Canelo Triple G. That fight would still be happening on May 5th if it was in New York the way that Triple G wanted it. Here's what I mean by that. Canelo Alvarez has plausible deniability for his positive PED test. And there's legal precedent for it. it you know, this part isn't really controversial or debatable. You know, whether you think Canelo actually cheated or not, it is perfectly plausible that he ate tainted meat in Mexico and that the only reason the Nevada Athletic Commission is suspending him is because they have essentially recently adopted a zero-tolerance policy on this issue. And while that sounds great in theory, you know, there are many cases, and I think especially in the UFC, where nutrition in general is at a much higher level of sophistication than boxing, where fighters have proven that they've got tainted supplements and, you know, even beyond that, there are many other extenuating circumstances to positive drug tests where if you're allowed to explain yourself, the fight could continue. You know, I've talked about this a little bit in the past. I'm not an expert on it by any means. There are far better people who are, you know, they've done a lot more research and they can discuss this part better than me. I just feel bad for Triple G for this part. I really feel bad for him. You know, this fight, if you look at it, in my opinion, 
it had the opportunity to do over 1.5 million pay-per-view sales. It did under that last time. I mean, I, I can only go by reported numbers. I can't go by what you know. I know the actual number to be. It was reported somewhere around 1.2 to 1.3 million. Um, there were extenuating circumstances last time. It was only three weeks after Mayweather, uh, McGregor, and I would actually argue that Cinco de Mayo weekend is a better pay-per-view weekend than Mexican Independence Day weekend for a variety of reasons. You know, whatever it is, this fight is now not happening, and there's really not a suitable replacement for it because of the Nevada Athletic Commission. You know, the meeting that is happening tomorrow was so important to the process of figuring out Canelo's punishment that it basically ensured Triple G was going to be completely screwed. You know, the Canelo fight in general is so important to him, his wallet, his career, his legacy, all of these things that he had to wait and see what kind of punishment Canelo was going to get. You know, this, mind you, for something that had they done the fight in Dallas or MSG, probably still happening and guaranteeing Triple G life-changing money. You know, and here's what I'd say. When you think about it, if you're, here's what I ask for anybody out there, especially if you're a contract worker. When you get an opportunity to make multiples of what your normal fee is, how would you feel if that fee went away for a preventable reason? I mean, it's crazy. So what happens next? Well, you know, there was talk of Spike O'Sullivan, and that may... That may have been a great fight for Triple G like in the moment, but they couldn't figure out whether to do that on pay-per-view or not. And really what I mean by that is this other side element sort of funny thing that happened along the way, which is they wanted to do the fight on HBO, but HBO's lack of budget for boxing in 2018 really got exposed here. And pretty much in any other year, certainly any year that I worked there, HBO would have paid the license fee for a Spike O'Sullivan fight with Triple G. They would have paid both fighters really good money. Uh, there wouldn't have been a problem. They would have been, you know, really lauded as heroes for doing it in the boxing community. But the license fee they were talking about, or at least the rumored license fee, I mean, you understand why Spike O'Sullivan turned it down, you know, and you have to wonder if you can't afford Spike O'Sullivan as a replacement for a fight like this, like, what is your commitment to the sport? I mean, that is astounding, you know, and I've wanted to do deep dives on all three major networks and what their strategy was within the sport, but for HBO right now, it's you, you look at the programming they put on recently, and the Andre the Giant documentary comes out, the Serena doc is about to come out, and while I'm sure, you know, I saw the Andre the Giant doc, it's incredible, I'm sure the Serena doc is going to be great, but you got to wonder what HBO Sports is focused on right now. And look, that's a much deeper dive, and it goes way beyond questions like this. But the bottom line here is Spike O'Sullivan is fighting on May 4th on a Golden Boy card, 
and he's not fighting on May 5th against Golovkin, and it's because the money he was going to get paid was terrible. So who else is there for Golovkin to fight? It's Vanes Margarosian. I mean, there are mandatory fights being made, but honestly, you can't promote a fight correctly with that kind of magnitude where it's a title fight like that with so little time. And Tom Loeffler ends up giving this bizarre press conference where the big announcement there's, is that there's no news. So I think the next question in all of this is you pivot to how is this going to work out for Triple G's career? And this is another thing that's become exposed here that's worth checking into. One of the brilliant things that Tom Loeffler has done over Triple G's career is he's focused on activity. And let me come out and say this. I'm, I'm biased here. You know, before Golovkin fought his first fight at HBO, I think it was probably the first time he ever came into the office, it was sort of like a last-minute thing, and I was one of, like, three people that showed up to say hello. But that started, I mean, I, I've either been part of, I've either basically worked point or at least been involved in marketing every single fight he's ever had at HBO. You know, he's the type of fighter that you, once you get past that surface part of, oh, he's from Kazakhstan, he's the kind of fighter that you want to build a network around. He's got knockout power. He's got a great backstory. He's got a lot of charisma. And, you know, he really doesn't get injured. And, you know, most importantly, he's been extremely active up until very recently. You know, Loeffler was essential in this. You know, he took the philosophy of instead of bleeding HBO dry for the biggest license fee possible for all of Gennady's fights, he focused on activity very early on. And maybe that meant that he missed out on a little bit of money early in the process. But in the long run, it paid major dividends because once HBO saw how active Gennady was and how willing he was to make a fight, even you know if it did if he didn't get the best financial deal possible, we started putting a lot of marketing dollars behind him. You know, those are the kind of fighters you want to put marketing dollars behind, like fighters who are going to be out there, they're going to be active, and they end up being easy to market and, and the best chances you have to create a star. You know, we did big off-channel campaigns around his fights. Um, you know, also, his activity had another side benefit that really had nothing to do with HBO. He put butts in seats. And once the momentum started for that, it picked up quickly. He sold out, he sold out StubHub. He sold out MSG. And, you know, that had nothing to do with HBO's bottom line. But it gave all the fans who subscribed to HBO a side benefit. He wasn't totally reliant on HBO license fees to attract opponents. And, you know, that's huge. I mean, he also, he was active by fighting in Europe. Yes, we didn't get, when I worked at HBO, we didn't get the best ratings live during the afternoon. But when you added up the, the afternoon live rating and then the replay, it turned out to be a pretty good number. And those fights came at much less of a license fee. So in terms of your, subs your subscription that you're paying for, 
you're getting a great deal here. You know, that's stuff that you want. And, you know, the other, the other part of this is it's, it's a challenge with fighters like him on the network side because you have to overpay opponents to take on the challenge of fighting him. But when he sells out arenas and he's willing to do all this other stuff, he, he contributes to that on his end. You know, and really what it's ended up doing for him, he's made all that money back and then some. You know, another ramification, though, of this decision by the NAC is that Golovkin doesn't have an automatic next step. You know, really what I mean by that is the Golovkin brand that he spent so hard and so long building takes a little bit of a hit. You know, if you're him, you want to keep that May 5th date and fight three or four times this year. You know, but on the other hand, let's say you fight three times this year. All those purses combined might only be half as much against, you know, when you compare it to the one fight against Canelo. So you can't jeopardize that Canelo fight. And that's going to cost you on the activity side. I'm guessing most hardcore boxing fans out there, certainly most people listening to this, they don't care if Golovkin fights Canelo next. And they would just rather see him increase his activity instead. You know, and it just puts him in a tough spot. It's like on the one hand, HBO is acting like they don't have the budget to put him on the network more than once unless it's an overseas fight. So if you're Triple G, even if you're trying to fight three times this year, you're cobbling together a plan. And it means you're like, you're rushing to fight on Cinco de Mayo, maybe against Vanis Martirosian. I mean, who cares? You know, I mean, I guess I, maybe I shouldn't say who cares. Of all the opponents that could be out there, it's who cares, really, I guess. I, I don't mind saying that at all. I take it back. Vanis will probably not make a great fight. I'm not even sure he's really that qualified. I don't think he's fought in a year and a half or two years. I'm not sure he's ever fought at 160 pounds. And he has a history of not making great fights. You know, I'd much rather see someone like Spike O'Sullivan, who at least is going to really give it a go and be willing to go out on a shield. You know, anyways, you're cobbling together a plan. You get to fight on Cinco de Mayo against a lesser opponent. You got to maybe like go to London to fight BJ Saunders something like that. Maybe you do a pay-per-view fight in the fall, probably against a mandatory or something like that. There's not too many opponents out there that he could even do a successful pay-per-view uh, with besides Canelo. You know, and the other thing here is both Canelo and Triple G are not incentivized at all to do a fight without each other on pay-per-view because the numbers would just be low. When Triple G and Canelo fight each other, they're clearing a million pay-per-view buys easy. There's a chance, I think they do 1.5, there's a chance they could do higher than that. There's a chance they could do 1.6, 1.7 without each other. I'm not even sure Golovkin clears 300,000 or Canelo clears 600,000 regardless of opponent. And if either of them fights and does a number less than that, it's an argument for the other fighter to redo the deal based on how poorly that pay-per-view number is. You know, Canelo and Triple G, I just think they're the perfect dance partners for a number of reasons, but probably most importantly is because 
they're the perfect intersection of casual and hardcore fan bases for the sport. Canelo is the perfect casual fans fighter, while Golovkin is the perfect hardcore fans fighter. And I think this propels the fight forward. It's not a Mayweather fight where hardcore fans can host a party and literally write a script for their casual fight fan friends. It's not a Pacquiao fight back in the day where both the casual and hardcore fans can really appreciate how TV friendly of a fighter he is, you know, especially when he's matched up correctly. Golovkin and Canelo, they match up well. They give both sets of fans a reason to cheer. You know, side note, I love that new Triple G commercial. There's now a grudge match element to it. I think it actually, it, it might even help overall pay-per-view sales, assuming the fight can happen in September. But even going back to just the, the hardcore element of it, it's just a great overall solid fight. It's like the matinee idol versus the boogeyman, and it makes sense. Now, again, I'm recording this the day before the hearing, and I don't know the result, what the result's going to be, but from all accounts, it feels like it's going to be a year suspension reduced to six months. It also feels like Triple G is going to fight Vonis on May 5th. This all could change. We don't know. One question I did get that I want to address, I got this on Twitter actually today from Troy W. If Canelo is out for a year, how do you see the pay-per-view market doing with his absence? The short answer to this is terrible. Golovkin might end up, as I said earlier, having to fight a mandatory in September to keep his belts, and that probably won't do well on pay-per-view. The only other candidates you really have to do any kind of a decent number are if Crawford fights Pacquiao on ESPN pay-per-view, or if Anthony Joshua fights Walder on Showtime pay-per-view, which I've talked about at length. You know, maybe they capitalize on a low in the market, but... I don't really think any of those fights are ready to do a big number right now. Um, and I think the market for fights recently has been all about what that one huge fight is. And then there's nothing for any other fights. You know, even going back to Mayweather Pacquiao, obviously Mayweather McGregor, Canelo Triple G, there's really not much else. You know, the Ward Kovala fights did terrible numbers compared to these. They did fractions of them. But here's, here's the thing. It's good news. I know that may sound weird for me to be saying this, but I've talked about it earlier. I think it was two podcasts ago. This is a market ripe for disruption. Someone needs to come in with a brand new model here. And none of that will ever happen until there's a downturn. And the other great part of that is the massive profits for the big fight. People now see that. And with the opportunity to draw viewers to a platform, maybe like Amazon, as I mentioned in a previous podcast, but it doesn't have to be them. It can be anyone with an incentive to do it. There's huge money to be made. You can lower the price dramatically. And you can draw massive amounts of viewers to your platform. I, I think that's what makes a disruptor happen. I don't know what else to say about it.
Um, let's preview some of the upcoming action here. There's actually some really good fights coming up on Showtime, and I think there's some decent fights on the, on the following we've done on HBO. May, I, I know I was last two episodes sort of, you know, not giving April it, its due credit. Maybe I'll change my tune a little bit on, on with the Showtime fights. I probably underestimated these. You know, April 21st on Showtime, Facebook and YouTube, actually. Carl Frampton versus Nonito Donaire for what's essentially the WBO featherweight top contender, and then Zolana Tete versus Omar Narvaez for a Bantamweight title. Frampton's coming in at about a 5 or 6 to 1 favorite here, and Tete is like a crazy, it's like 40 or 50 to 1, something like that. You know, the Frampton-Donaire match, that's really something to look at. I, th I think 5 or 6 to 1, I think that is um, not a great betting number because... There's a lot of local betters in overseas markets. Well, local to the UK is what I'm really talking about. There's a lot of UK betters, and they are probably inaccurately putting this number too high. And if you are a betting man, betting on Nonito Denire, I don't know that I feel great about my money, but that number is way too high, and you can probably make some money if, if Denire wins. It, it, that is more like a two-to-one fight or, or closer to an even odds fight. We haven't seen a whole lot of great stuff from Carl Frampton recently. Obviously, we haven't seen a whole lot of stuff besides the left hook from Donito Donaire. But that's a really good fight. Uh, I'm glad Showtime is using their digital platform to televise that. I think that's a, that's a gift to fight fans. Thank you, Showtime. On regular Showtime later that evening, Adrian Broner versus Jesse Vargas at welterweight, Jamal Charlo versus Hugo Centeno for essentially it's WC middleweight top contender and then Gervonta Davis versus Jesus Cuellar for WBA junior lightweight title. Broner and Vargas coming in at even odds. Charlo is about a 40 or 50 to 1 favorite and Davis is like a 6 or 7 to 1. Also that weekend, uh, Amir Khan versus Phil LaGreco on the ESPN Plus app. Khan is a huge favorite. That fight's happening in the UK, so it'll be earlier in the day. The significant items here, uh, you know, the Broner, you know, I've talked about the ESPN app. I did a whole podcast on it. This is not coming out of the gate super strong, but like I mentioned previously, I think you got to have some test runs from what, you know, there's been mixed reactions to what the app looks like. But just with the access to the library you have in terms of fights, I think people will enjoy that for what it is. And like I've already said before, you're going to pay for one year, you're going to pay less than you would for one pay-per-view fight. I am pretty confident starting with Pacquiao Horn, which shouldn't be a pay-per-view fight, but I think that's a good one to start out with. I think you'll see a lot more like that. Uh, there's still some unanswered questions on uh, that are out there on this app, though. There's a lot of other sports on it too. Um, so I have it. I encourage other people to get it. You will be getting this at a great price while they're working out the kinks. I'll leave it at that. The Broner Vargas fight, Adrian Broner, and I'll probably talk about this way more at length next podcast. Adrian Broner is the complete opposite of someone like Triple G in every single way possible. 
my colleagues have heard me say this a lot. A- anyone, you know, when you're a marketer and you're looking at fighters to build around, you have to assess two things really. Like what what is this fighter's potential purely inside the ring in terms of what their talent level is? And then what is their potential in terms of self-promotion and pure marketability like are they a quote-unquote star do they have star qualities what kind of emotional reaction do they get from fight fans that kind of stuff um adrian broner is great at the latter he gets great tv ratings because he is a great self-promoter and he evokes a strong emotional reaction from people who love him or hate him Adrian Broner, when you talk about the first element, this is a guy who lost several rounds to Welsh journeyman Gavin Reese. No disrespect to Reese. When you look at a fighter like that and they have that much trouble with a journeyman fighter who really wasn't that accomplished. And I think Reese is just one of many fighters who are at the somewhere between C plus to B level. When you have, when you throw that few punches that Broner does and you have that much problem, you have like that many problems dealing with someone on that kind of talent level, then you are not worthy of putting marketing dollars behind. It's really just that simple. Um, April 28th on ESPN, Jesse Magdaleno Takes on Isaac Dogbo. Brian Jennings is fighting. Jesse Hart's fighting. Shakur Stevenson are fighting. There's no odds out there for any of these fights. I think this clearly falls into the secondary type of ESPN card. Um, HBO has Daniel Jacobs fighting Maciej Sulecki for the WBA middleweight cont- eliminator. Uh, Jarrell Miller fighting Johan Duhapas for basically the same thing for heavyweight. Jacobs is about a 12 to 1 favorite. Miller's about the same. He's 13 or 14 to 1. Don't love this. This is really. I, I don't love this. I don't love this for a lot of reasons. I don't know what the heavyweight heavyweight fight leads to at HBO unless they get Anthony Joshua in air. The Joshua, if Darrell Miller wins and HBO gets Anthony Joshua, you're going to see that fight in New York in August. But if they don't, then HBO is basically just previewing Joshua's next opponent on Showtime. And then Daniel Jacobs. You know, Sulecki could be a good fighter. I think he is a good fighter. He may not be TV friendly, but this is now the second opponent for Jacobs like this. And everybody who subscribes to HBO... And even if you don't, you want to see Danny Jacobs fight Triple G or Canelo. That is why HBO got Danny Jacobs. They did not get him to fight Sulecki or any of these other 160-pounders not named Golovkin or Canelo. Maybe Demetrius Andrade. Maybe something like that. Maybe we can actually get BJ Saunders in the ring. I'm To be, to be perfectly honest, I actually think Saunders... Could be the toughest out for all these guys. And I think a Saunders-Jacobs fight might 
not be that fun to watch, but probably if both fighters take the training seriously, it could be fought at a high level. That all being said, what is HBO's strategy with Danny Jacobs? That's my question to HBO. This has been a tough, tough podcast from my former colleagues. I really do wish them the best. I hate asking these kind of questions about them. But, you know, and this could be a decent night of fights. I mean, we could look back at this, and HBO certainly could put on the better night of action than Showtime. I don't think it's lined up that way, but it could be. It could be. I hope the best for them, and and I hope we see more fights coming on HBO. I do hope that Golovkin can fight May 5th there. I think that is is going to end up being what's best for Golovkin's brand, and I think that's a win that HBO could point to. But that all being said, look, maybe we'll we'll, we'll do an update later in the week, but for now, I don't think this hearing matters much for Canelo. I don't think he's showing up. I think it's going to be a year suspension reduced to six months. If it is a year, Canelo will probably never fight in, in Nevada again, or he shouldn't, or I would never advise him to. And I really feel bad for Golovkin. They may never not actually fight for the second time. I mean, I think I think based on how much bad-mouthing back and forth has happened at this point, I think they will. And I think it's a grudge match that will do really, really well on pay-per-view. But you never know. Canelo just had some weird surgery. You just never know with this stuff. I'd hate for the public to miss out on that fight because of something stupid like this. Anyways, let's end there. Look, enjoy the fights this weekend. Hopefully the fights next weekend are good. We will talk to you guys in two weeks again, um, I will do a better job of getting out on social media, commenting on stuff. Um, like I said, I, you know, I have a whole other day job, and and sometimes this can be tough if I'm really busy. But I promise I will do a better job at that. All right, guys, good talking to you. Talk soon. Did you get what you was looking for?